So if you're just now joining us online, we want to welcome you to Bethany United Methodist Church, where we're leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ and grow in His image. We're glad you're choosing to worship with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing in this look at Philippians, uh, Paul's love letter to the church in Philippi. And uh, I remind you, if you're not following it, uh, the Seedbed Daily Text is working its way through this at the same time. So uh, just would encourage you to, to do that as uh, J.D. picks it apart in more detail than what I can do in the time uh, we have together on a Sunday morning. So uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I'm going to remind you of this verse that I, I lifted up the other week. We're going to keep kind of coming back to this where Paul says, uh, and actually I want you to read it with me if you would. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now here we are in Easter season, and in the Easter season, that last part, the resurrection from the dead, that's the part we celebrate, and, and most of us like that part, right? You know, I want to become, I want to know Christ, yes, the power of his resurrection, we like that part, right? That's, that's really appealing. And then, and then Paul keeps going and just kind of ruins it, right? You know, we have the resurrection, and then it goes on. Oh, and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and then some, so how, retaining to the to resurrection. I mean, that, that, that part we don't like so much. And what Paul reminds us in this, this passage, uh, something that we tend to forget or want to gloss over, is that the path to the resurrection lies directly through the cross. Let's pray. So, Father, we're here on this beautiful uh, spring morning, which feels like resurrection all over again outside this morning and uh, just ask you to come and be present with us and and open us up uh, to hear what you would say to us uh, let the words of my mouth the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight for you are our rock and our redeemer amen now i'm just going to tell you some of what i'm going to do this morning this is going to you may find this difficult so Bear with me, I know it, I understand that. So uh, Paul starts off and he's, he's writing to the Philippians and he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. So he writes to them. Remember, this is, this is the church in Philippi. Uh, this is a small community. Uh, there were so uh, few uh, uh, Hebrews in, in Philippi, there, wasn't, there weren't enough Jewish men to have a synagogue. So this is a very small church community that's there. And it's in this large city, uh, which is sometimes called the New Rome of its period. Uh, it's a very metropolitan city. It's a very secular city, very Roman city. And you have this small church that Paul's writing to. And Paul writes to them from a Roman prison cell. And so he writes to them and, and says, you know, what, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And, and you know, and it's really more than, I'm, it, maybe you're like me, you hear your parents or your grandparents' voice in your ear, you know, remember, you know, don't embarrass us when you go out there. Behave yourselves, right? People know who you are. You've, he really, it's more than that. It's not just about you know, behaving yourself well. I mean, he, he's reminding them, you know, stand firm in the spirit. We're, we're striving together for one, uh, for the faith of the gospel. Uh, so, so be strong in that and, and expect that people will oppose you. 
I mean, in the church of Philippi, they, they knew that because they were followers of Christ in a very secular city. And their values and those of the city did not always mesh. And, and the Roman city, you know, you had all the, the Roman gods, you had the, the worship of the emperor and all that going on. And here they are in this very different place. And so they could expect that not only would they be opposed, but that people would accuse them of things. And people would say horrible things about them. And, and, and he says, you know, even in the face of that, stand strong, be, be strong, stand together firmly. And, and, and he, he just kind of emphasizes that as he goes on. He says, for, for it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Now, you know, if, if you're not getting that, I mean, he said, you know, listen, not only do you get to believe in Jesus, you get to suffer for him. That, that, that's not really something most of us jump up and down and go, woohoo, right? You know, really? I mean, we like the believing part, right? We, li- we like that. But then he goes on, you know, I mean, yeah, you get to suffer for him. We, we don't often think of our faith that way, do we? I mean, we come to church because we want to be made to, you know, we want to feel better. Or we want to, you know, find more life and more abundance. And we don't usually come to church thinking, boy, I, I can't wait to get to church this morning and find out how I can suffer for Jesus. That's, that's really right. I mean, am I missing that? I mean, I, I, it is, that's what it is in my life. I mean, and, and this word comes to us to remind us that, that being a follower of Christ is more than simply saying you believe. And it's more than all the good things. It has to do with a, a deeper commitment of life to Christ. We sometimes uh, talk about the first and second half of the gospel, and just kind of, it's interesting to me, parallel scriptures. Uh, in the first half, if you look at it, you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Very familiar passage. We like this passage. It makes us feel good. We'll even put it on a piece of cardboard and hold it up at a football game, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, we, we like this. This is fun. This is the first half of the gospel, believing in Christ and believing in the gift of salvation that comes to us. But the second part is to live into the reality of Christ. This is 1 John three sixteen. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is the second half, which is... To live as Christ in the world. And that's both the more challenging part, but also in some ways the richer part. Paul's going to go on and, and write a little more about <clears throat> this as he goes. He goes, do, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. Now, I want you to notice how he, he kind of defines humility here. Uh, he says, I want you to, in humility, he defines it, it's, it's valuing others above yourself, not looking to your interests, but, but each of you the interests of others. That's, that's sometimes, that's, we use that term humility and we kind of mean different things, don't we? You know, uh, uh, Mark Twain, I love this quote. There is a brand of humility which is itself a species of showing off, Right? Well, I'm, I'm really proud of my humility. You know, I'm so humble. I'm, I'm much more humble than you are. I mean, have you ever been in that kind of conversation where somebody starts talking and then they start trying to one-up each other about how humble they are? And, and, and this goes on for a while and, you're, and you start to go, wait, wait a minute, what are we doing here? I mean, 
I mean, we're bragging on how humble we are, and, and we don't catch that that's kind of contradictory. But, but sometimes we do that. And then, and then the other way we sometimes approach humility is we actually make it all about us. I'm so humble. I don't think of myself. You know, and, and, and kind of in the extreme version, people use that as a way to kind of put themselves down a little bit. You know, it's the, kind of the Eeyore syndrome. Well, you know, no one wants to be friends with me. You know, I'm not worth much. You know, I mean, uh, right? It's that, that kind of, you know, diminishing of yourself. And, and the problem with that is all that's focused on me. And what did Paul say? Valuing others. Valuing others. Maybe humility, actually, to, to get a better definition, needs to be focused on others. I love J.D.'s comment. Humility is not about self at all. Humility is all about others. Humility is not putting yourself down. I want you to hear that. Humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is about lifting others up. It's not about denying who you are. It's not about denying what God's doing in your life. But it's lifting others up instead of lifting yourself up. That's what humility is about. So in that humility and, and in your relationships with one another, you're supposed to have the same mindset as Jesus. Uh, if you read this in different translations, uh, some of them will say, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. But it's, it's, it's that kind of have Jesus mind in you. And I want you to hear, he doesn't say have a mindset like Jesus. Have the same mind as Jesus. That, that like is too often what we do. And you all remember uh, we had the WWJD, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit and I'm going to think in this situation, what do I think Jesus would do? And then I'm going to try to be like Jesus. Now, that's imitation. That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say, you know, you know have a mind like Jesus. He says, have the same mind as Jesus. And, and the mind of Christ is the mind of God that's imparted by the Holy Spirit. It, it's not us thinking about how can I be like Jesus. It's us being willing to surrender ourselves completely and inviting God to have his way. It's about getting ourselves out of the way so that God is who is seen in us. And if that doesn't sound tough to you, I mean, I'm, I'm, you, you, you're not hearing it. I mean, this is difficult. This is moving myself out of the way. You know, this is opposed to what most of us think of. You know, we come to church and we want to learn and we want to study scripture and we want to do our spiritual disciplines. And we want to be in our groups because we're, we're trying to become better as Christians. We're trying to build ourselves up. And, and, and it all kind of becomes this kind of spiritual achievement kind of thing. So that we can be more like Jesus. That's not what Paul says. Have the same mind. The same mind that was in Jesus. In Romans, <clears throat> he would put it this way. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
Offer yourself as a living sacrifice. He's not, he's not saying, you know, you know, throw yourself down or do harm yourself. or anything. I mean, That's not what he's saying. He's saying you're living the way you live every day. Offer that up to God. Offer that up to God. Invite God into that fully, completely. That's, that's really what worship should bring you to. And, and don't be conformed. Don't be shaped by the world around you, but rather be transformed. And the word there literally is metamorphed. Be, be metamorphed by the renewing, by the repentance of your mind, the turning of your mind. Give, your, give yourself fully and completely to God. Let God inhabit everything that you are and everything that you do. Let God come to dwell within you. It's, it's a radical statement that Paul is making to us here. And he's going to go on then after this and, and, and move forward and, and start to remind us who it is, this Jesus, whose mindset we're trying to get a hold of, right? Uh, he, he, he says, this Jesus, you know, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, now God very nature of God. Some passages will say did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. This, this one says something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. Now I want you to contrast that. In the Genesis story, Adam and Eve, you know, are created and they're put in the Garden of Eden and they have everything they need. They're in this perfect relationship with the world, this perfect relationship with each other, perfect relationship with God. It's, it's all the way it's supposed to be. And the one thing God says is, you don't eat of, of this tree here. Don't, don't, don't do that. And so they, they go in there and the serpent tempts them to do it. And, and they say, oh, no, you know, Eve says, oh, no, God told us if we ate of that tree, we would die. And the serpent says back to her, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Right? You will be like God. You'll be like God. You'll know good from evil. That, that, that's the mind of Adam. <laughs> We're going to be like God. We're going to figure it out. We're going to understand this stuff. We're going to have it down. That's the mind of Adam. We're going to achieve, and so we're going to become like God. And over and over through Scripture, this is what we see. When we decide that, that our job is to become like God and we begin to elevate ourselves, eventually it all falls apart. There's this other story, the Tower of Babel, where they build, all the people come together and they build this great tower. They say, we're going to build a tower that goes to the heavens. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And, and the, the kind of implication there is, you know, God has a name for himself, so we're going to do the same. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to have a name for ourselves. And then God scatters them. Because every time we try to become like God and lift ourselves up, all, all of our brokenness, all of our shortcomings and all of our failures just become amplified. And it all falls apart. Every time we try to lift ourselves up, we're, we're brought down. 
by our sin, by our failures, by our brokenness. I mean, when Adam and Eve leave the garden, it's a picture of brokenness. Their, their relationship with the world is broken. Now they're going to have to struggle to get by. And that word when he says, by the sweat of your brow are you going to eat, I mean, it's not simply hard work, it's, it's anxiety. Now not only are you going to have to work hard, but you're, you're never going to know for sure. Their relationship with each other is, is damaged. Their relationship with God is damaged. And when we have the mind of Adam and we try to lift ourselves up, this is where we take all of our brokenness and we try to elevate it, and it always ends up breaking us down. Always. But the Scripture says that's not what Jesus did, right? Being the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. I I just, this, is, this is really, I, I struggle, I still struggle to get my head around this. I mean, uh, you know, he, he's in the very nature of God. Jesus is, is, is God. God is Jesus. Jesus is the Word, the Word that be, is made flesh. And, and the Word in the beginning, the Word is what speaks, and the Word speaks, and things come to be. And, and everything that comes into being comes into being because of the Word. And nothing is made that isn't made because of the Word. And so the Word is all, is all that is, and the Word becomes flesh. This is Jesus. Now, I, I have somewhere or another in my meanderings, uh, read several articles on things that are related to astrophysics. And, uh, and, and so somehow or another, because I've done that, Google thinks that I'm supposed to get all these articles. So Google sends me all this stuff on my phone, you know, and, uh, and it's fascinating to read the headlines. I can't always tell what they're talking about in the article because, you know, these are people who are like, you know, PhD kind of people and all that. But, but it's fascinating to read. And, and, and the one thing that, that really keeps jumping out on me is, is we're in this age of, of tremendous exploration right now. Um, not by necessarily sending people, but we have these, these uh, you know, the satellites and the, the uh, missions that we've sent out that are sending back information from space. We have these uh, orbiting telescopes now, both visual and radio and so forth. I mean, they're, they're sending back all this information. And we have this huge amount of learning that's going on about what the universe actually looks like and how it functions compared to what we thought. And the amazing thing is it's just showing us how little we actually know and how often what we thought was incorrect and how vast how vast this expanse is I mean we can put it down in numbers and and describe in numbers you know how how big the universe is but the truth is, these, these huge numbers and these huge distances and this expanse it, it is way beyond what any of us can actually comprehend. We can describe it in a mathematical formula, but we can't really comprehend the reality of it. And, and Jesus is the Word who spoke and all of it became reality. <laughs> the God who is, who is all this and, and, and way beyond what any one of us can even begin to get our head around chooses to be born into our midst as an infant. 
Now, now in many ways, uh, infants uh, have great power over us because those of you who've been around when you have a, a baby in your household or a grandbaby in your household, you know, I mean, they, they squawk and we come running, right? I mean, they exercise a certain amount of power over us. This is as it should be. Because actually, infants are, are, are really, when you get right down to it, they're, they're helpless. They can't move themselves. They can't feed themselves. They, they can't clean themselves up. And so anytime they need anything, they cry out and rely on us to be there for them. Okay, are, are you getting the, this? The God of all that is that spoke all creation into being becomes an infant. Who, who is helpless and relies on his parents. He became nothing. He became nothing. He gave up all that power. And, and as he lives in the midst of us, he doesn't live as a powerful king and one who exercises authority, but as one who in compassion and mercy goes to the, the least of these goes to people that, that you or I might choose not to go to and to bring wholeness and to bring healing. And he, and he lives in such powerful obedience that he chooses even to go to the cross and to give up his life. The ancient creeds at this point say he, he died and, and he descended to the dead. He became nothing. And then having become nothing, having become nothing, at that point, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He became nothing and then God exalted him. And the tomb was empty. And he was raised up and seated at the right hand of God. And every, every knee bows to worship him. It's the reverse of, of what we think of doing. <laughs> he becomes nothing. And then God raises him up. Now, I just, you just kind of have to get your head around that. That's, that's what we're called into. You know, when, uh, when Cindy and I first began to hang around each other and uh, go places together, and then when we got married and so forth, you know, one of the things we kind of learned was that uh, her brain's like wired 180 degrees different than mine. Uh, so, and I'm talking spatial kind. So we walk out of a place, and she said, well, the car's over here. Well, that tells me it's actually over here. And she goes, well, this is the way to go home. And that tells me, no, this is the way to go home. And, and even our children started picking up on that when they came along. Oh, well, mom says it's that way. It's got to be this way. And, and what we finally kind of, we just said, what, what? Something about, she's, you know, left-handed. And so there's something about that that causes her sense of direction to be different from mine. Now, I'm not actually going to say who's right most of the time because that would get me in trouble. But, but we kind of had to learn that, you know, when, when we come out, we oftentimes have opposing senses of direction and sometimes Cindy will say well it's left and what she really means is it's right so you know you kind of I mean it's, it's that kind of thing we, we just have this sense well so so here in the scripture you know we live in this culture that's all about you know building yourself up isn't it 
It's all about achieving. You know, it's all about becoming more. It's all about we're going to come and we're going to learn all this stuff and we're going to become better and better Christians. We're going to be more and more like Jesus. And, and what Paul says is that's all wrong. To be a follower of Christ isn't about you achieving. It's about you giving it all up. It's not about trying to be like Christ. It's just letting Christ have you. It's not about becoming more. It's about becoming less. And that's the hard part of this passage. That's the hard part for us. Because we, we just, that's, that's so countercultural to us. You know, here in America, you know, get your bootstraps and pull yourselves up and achieve and, and, and do it all and become great on your own. And how many times have we, we worked so hard and we worked so hard to achieve so much only to find that it, it, it all starts to fall apart? Our marriages start to crumble. Our children are alienated. We find ourselves in a place of despair and hopelessness. And this, this piece of Philippians, this, this piece which actually is, is, is kind of the chorus out of an early Christian hymn, it says, no, that, that's backwards. You got it 180 degrees off. It's not that way. It's this way. It's giving it all up and letting God have his way with you. And this is, this is hard for, I think, us to hear. I think in, in our day and age, particularly in our culture, this is hard for us to hear. But the core of this, the core of this really is that, you know, less of me is room for more of God. Less of me makes room for more of God. That really, you know, if, if I want to be lifted up, I've got to be willing to, 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 in humility, be brought low. Down is up. Down is up. And, and that when I decide to strive for nothing... For becoming nothing. That's when God raises me up with everything. That that ultimately it's all about, you know, less of me and more of Jesus. If you're not sitting there going, okay, this is like really messing with me. This is this I'm uncomfortable with this. This is really challenging you're not really hearing what Paul is saying to you. This is a challenging piece of scripture. And it pushes right against who we are. I say that to, to be a follower of Christ, there's got to be less of me. I've got to be willing to become nothing so that God is everything. And there's more of Jesus. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come on this spring day. We love the stories of the resurrection. And they give us such hope. We come needing to be reminded that that's not something we can grasp. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we achieve but rather it's, it's something that you give to us as a gift. 
that it comes to us when we are willing to, to be less than, when, when we are willing to let go of becoming important, when we're willing to lift others up, when we're willing to love as Christ has loved, when we're willing to get ourselves out of the way and allow you, allow you to hold sway in our lives. So, Father, hear us as we come and pray this morning. Less of me, more of Jesus. Amen.